Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Great. It's great. so good to see everyone again, uh, although this time not in person, but that's okay. Um, uh, it's good to see all your faces. And um, if, you are, if you have the capacity to be videoed, it'll be great to see you because I've got two screens so that I can just still preach to you uh, in video form. So if you've got video, don't don't close it, uh, t- leave it on, and so that I can see you faces and I can open God's word uh, with you as well. So keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 12. We're taking a bit of a break from our year uh, series in this whole year and just uh, looking at um, the body of Christ in particular. I want to invite you to a place. Imagine with me, you enter the house and there's a quiet serenity, a warm sense of belonging, a a comfortable peace. In this place, the people who live there don't rush, they don't hurry, there's a measured calm pace. The residents go about their lives not wanting to climb up socially, but to climb down, to be humble, gentle, soft, and caring for one another. It's dinner preparation time, and it's it's nothing fancy, just a simple stew. Luke and James are in charge of dinner preparations. Luke gets the water boiling and some ingredients ready, while James is chopping carrots for the salad. James cuts each piece of carrot with slow precision. It takes him half an hour to do a bag of carrots. But Luke doesn't hurry him and lets him take his own pace because it's not about efficiency. They laugh and chatter about the week's delights. At dinner time, you're seated next to Julie who struggles with her hand-eye coordination. It takes her nearly a minute to grasp the spoon, but no one hurries her. Over the next 10 minutes, she struggles to pick up the peas, but she doesn't ask for help. She undertakes the task with ferocious um, concentration. When she finally gets a mouthful of peas into her mouth, the whole dining table erupts in cheers. She looks around with glowing pride in her eyes. After dinner, you sit down with all the rest of the housemates in the lounge room, and each person has a particular spot. In the middle of the lounge room is a large candle that smells faintly of roses on top of a clay plate. The candle is lit and then slowly passed around the circle. Each recipient is given the opportunity to either offer a prayer to make a request or to lead the group in song. Every time a prayer is finished, 
everyone joins in and says, Lord, hear our prayers. Some hold the candle without speaking. Others silently cry as they recount broken relationships, while others burst into song that are out of tune and unrecognisable. But no one judges, glares, or shuts their ears. Now, I've just painted for you a visit to a lush community uh, from the humble beginnings in the 1960s where three uh, men, two with disabilities and one without, lived together and formed a community. Now in 2020, there are, 2021, there are over 140 communities around the world. Uh, there are two or three in Sydney and there's one in Hunter, uh, where people with intellectual disabilities and those without uh, live day to day. Sounds a lot like what we're doing at Hope Christian Homes as well. Here's what the founder of Lash said. Today, so much emphasis is put on technology, on scientific knowledge and on individual success that people, forgetting the importance of the heart and of faithful relationship, sink into depression and despair. Society often seeks to eliminate people who are weak before they're born or through euthanasia, arguing that they're a nuisance and cost too much. Through Lash, God reminds us of the essential purpose of human life, that out of love, we have been created to love. Lash could very well describe Christian communities and definitely the church and definitely Hope Christian Homes, where people are acknowledged that they are created out of love to love, where the walls of culture, race, age, ability and disability are broken, where despite differences, people can call these community home and family. I'm sure you've experienced this sometime in your life, and but I wonder how do we, as a community of God at Alive at Five, and uh, some of you from Alive at 11, uh, not Alive at 11, at 11 o'clock, how do we be a body of Christ in lockdown? And especially in times where Christian communities don't feel like that, how do we find love and acceptance? How do we show grace and inclusion? Well, God's going to tell us this evening, uh, he's going to speak to us through his body uh, when we look at 1 Corinthians 12 and consider what it means to be a community of God. Why don't you pray with me and we're going to look at God's word together. Lord, hear our prayers. We are a body. We are a house. We are a family, but sometimes bodies ache, houses creak, and families squabble. Help us to re-embody the reality 
of what you call us to be this evening. And it's the name of the one in whom we are all gathered and membered, we pray. Amen. Now, because the body has parts, this sermon on the body of Christ also has parts. So for those of us who are more anatomically inclined or logical, I've come to wash your feet this evening because most of my sermons don't have points. So here's a treat for you. Uh, there are five points to this sermon. If you're a note taker, there are five points to this sermon. Already I'm getting bored, but five points to this sermon. Point number one, the church is united. We stand together. Have a look at me in verse 12. The, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Paul begins with describing that God's people stand together as one side by side. Every believer, everyone who has the spirit of God within them is part of Jesus's body. Not only the local church in Springwood, but the wider church in New South Wales and the wider church in Australia and the wider church in our world. We have the local body of Christ and we have the global and universal body of Christ. It means that we stand together with those in Springwood, Winmalee, and we stand with those in Africa and America, all around the world, side by side. Number two, God's people are united, but there is diversity. There is a difference. Verse 14, now the body is not made up of one part but of many. Not everyone is the same. Now, I don't know if you've gone to Kellyville. You can't now because of the lockdown unless you work there. Um, if you've been to Kellyville, it's the housing kind of building developments there where kind of every house looks kind of the same. The roofs look kind of the same and all the post box kind of come off the shelf from Bunnings. Um, it's really eerie, isn't it? When I was a primary school teacher, um, especially in kindergarten and year one, we learnt about the um, the developmental stages of art. And if you've got grandkids, you would know uh, that when they're around four or five, when you tell them to draw something, an animal or a human being, it might end up being a body with one body part legs all the way round or an arm all the way round and that that's how they drew dogs or cats or animals or if you've seen kids draw um hands it's usually a circle with fingers all the way round it's called the limb stage of artistic development now the body of christ god's people isn't like Kellyville, where there it's just all kind of um, off the shelf, all the same. Nor is it like a kid's drawing where there's only just one limb 
coming out of the body and it's all legs or all, all eyes or all ears. It's made out of different body parts. There are those who are elderly and those who are young. There are those who experience autism and those who are neurotypical. There are those who have mental health issues and those who can sing and clap at the same time and those who can't sing and clap at the same time. But we're all one and together. We are together with Christians who are young in age and young at heart. We're together with Christians who grew up with us and those who grew up in other lands and finding refuge at ours. We stand together with Christians who speak our language and those who speak another language. We stand with Christians who are attracted to the opposite sex and those Christians who are attracted to the same sex. We stand with Christians who have a disability and those who had yet to have a disability. We're not in the body because of a particular gift or a particular struggle. No one can tell you you're not a part of the body because of what you can or can't do. You can't say to yourself like the foot in verse 15, the foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And the foot, the ear cannot say, um, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. No, your difference doesn't matter. Because verse 18, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God is the one who determines who is part of the body. We don't have the monopoly on that. Especially brothers and sisters who may look different, act different, and feel different to the rest of us, they are still part and parcel of the church. It's a dangerous and an unchristian thing to exclude those who are simply different. And Paul warns that. Now, I'm not talking about morally different. I'm talking about characteristically different, experientially different. Verse 25. Because there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be division in the body. Because division is pride. Number three, Paul warns against pride in any part of the body. Have a look at me in verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Sometimes as Christians, we might not say these things because we've learnt to be polite, but we might act it out. We might at first welcome those with mental health issues, those who are ethnically or culturally different to us, those who are sexual minorities or working out their gender identities or those with a disability. But when it's draining us too much, we'll slowly back off and fade away. We might start to withhold our love when someone's 
problems or has chronic issues, when their experience of exclusion and shame is too much for us to handle. Now, of course, there is need for self-care. We can't keep giving if we ourselves are not healthy. But at what point are we being are we sacrificing selfishness and at what point are we practicing self-care so that we can sacrifice selfishness we don't need you you have no space here might not be spoken but it might be shown leaving our brothers and sisters to feel like their liabilities. On the flip side, faithful brothers and sisters who are part of any minority, who might feel different and othered, who might have spent years in silence and hurt, on the other hand, they might say to the majority, we don't need you. In my line of work in Sydney, uh, I, I meet up with a lot of Christians who experience attraction to the same sex and navigating gender issues. A lot of those have stayed in church and churches, um, and they've held on to years of hurt and pain in silence of gay jokes, and, uh, and they're scared to come out and share. They're scared to be vulnerable, to be loved and accepted. And they're not wanting, I'm feeling safe, to be walked alongside. Especially when they've been told that they are depraved and wrong and broken constantly. What is missing there is what Paul writes in verse 25. Verse 25, so that there should be be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. An equal concern isn't just about inclusion and exclusion. It's not about being in or being out, because you can be included, but you can still not feel loved. You might be allowed to come through the doors and sit down or be allowed to join this Zoom chat, but you might not have people who actually care about you. See, an equal concern, I think, is like a strong mutual hug. And I'm taking this off um, a, a philosopher theologian called Miroslav Volf in his book, um, Oh, used to be there, but it's not there anymore. Uh, and, and exclusion and embrace. He talks about the ethics of a hug. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've talked to... No, that was last week. So I haven't told you guys about the ethics of a hug. Um, in a hug, the first thing you do is you, you open up your arms, right? In opening up your arms, you are exposing the most vulnerable part of you to the other person. Your heart, your lungs... Your, your everything that is of, of value that keep, gives you life, you're exposing to the other person. The second part of a hug is that you wait. 
because you respect the other person and you allow them that they have the choice of whether to fall into your embrace. And that's a consent thing as well. And then the third thing is when you hug, both your vulnerabilities are together. Uh, your vulnerable side and their vulnerable side are one. And then the fourth thing is you let go. Because you know that to continue forward, you can't continue in an embrace. You are both individuals. You are still people needing to live out your lives. But because of that hug, you are changed. When we say... I don't need you to a brother and sister. We push people away from a hug. But when we say, I do need you, something beautiful happens. Something, I think, like Jesus on the cross. He stretches out his hands, bearing his vulnerabilities to the world. He waits for each person to come to him because he respects them. He knows what's best for them, but he respects them. When they embrace Christ, the vulnerability of the person and Christ are mixed. Jesus takes upon the sins of that person. And when he lets go and they let go, they continue as an individual, but bound to Christ and changed. In the same, in very similar like, like this, a strong mutual hug is when both parties, brothers and sisters, uh, people with disabilities and those who are neurotypical, those who are... Uh, chronically sick or those who are young or those who are old, single mothers and sons and people without parents, bring themselves into a hug that open themselves up. Everything they have to offer, both their gifts and their vulnerabilities and their failures, and they're willing to let the other person see them for who they are. And the other person does the same. And they together, they enter into each other's space to hold and to accept and to let go and move forward. Sometimes we find it most difficult to do that with people who are different, people who are other, and people who we are uncomfortable with. But point number four, in this topsy-turvy world, those who are different and seemingly weaker have a greater honour. Have a look with me in verse 22. On the contrary, those part of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The minority in the church, the refugees, the brothers and sisters who have a disability, those who are 
older and frail and weaker, chronically fatigued, or those who are a sexual minority, as brothers and sisters with the Spirit of God within them, they have an important place. Not because they're better, not because they're morally superior, but because of their experience of being marginalised, I think they are able to share with us a glimpse of a Jesus that we might not see as the majority. Their obedience in silence shows us a glimpse of what Jesus did when he was obedient in silence. Their endurance in mockery is a sign of what Jesus did when he endured mockery. Their continued resilience and faith in a world that tells them that the easier path is the better path is a sign of the resilience of Jesus who was tempted so many times that the easier path is the better path. And their faith in a world that looks at their brokenness in shame is a sign of the faith of Jesus as everyone looked at him in shame on the cross. The marginalized have a place in the kingdom of God, not because they're better, but because they show us a glimpse of Jesus and the kingdom of God that we in the majority might not be able to see. It doesn't give those who are minorities the right to be proud or have a chip on their shoulder, but it does allow them to come to the table as equals and to walk the same long road of obedience that we all walk. Finally, number five. Paul writes, verse 26. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. When brothers and sisters in our communities, in, our, in the body of Christ, if they suffer silently, if Paul is right, then we as a whole suffer unknowingly. Does that make sense? If brothers and sisters in Christ suffer silently, we as a whole suffer unknowingly. Because... If one part suffers, every part is hurt. When we don't allow those who are weaker and different to express their gifts in church, in our communities, if we don't allow people with disabilities, uh, people who are different and people who have chronic issues, if we don't allow them to express what God has given them, Leslie Newbigin, a missiologist, said that we are effectively shooting ourselves in the insert body part here. Whenever someone is introduced into the pastoral team of um, 
at Living Faith, my boss, Dominic Steele, uh, at his church, he shows them a video, not of the Bible, but a video of the West Wing in a scene in season one. I don't know if you're a fan of West Wing. It's about um, it's about the fictional American president, uh, Jed Bartlett, uh, and his eight years, his, his two terms in presidency. And in this particular video that Dominic Steele shows, uh, there's a leak in the White House. Something that the president said had gone out onto the newspaper and someone on the White House staff was uh, a, a part of the leak. And so the chief of um, communications, Toby Ziegler, calls a meeting and tells all the staff to wait uh, to meet him in the kitchen. Everyone's there and he's seated there. Everyone's expecting that someone's going to get told off, that they're going to hunt down that leak and they're going to fire him. But Toby doesn't. Toby says, I'm not going to hunt down the leak. I'm not going to fire anyone because we work as a team. We win together. We lose together. We celebrate and we mourn together. And defeats are softened and victories sweeter because we did them together. You're my guys and I'm yours and there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? Jesus, the true Toby Ziegler, says that you who are different... You're one of my guys and one of my gals. I'm yours. Why wouldn't I be if I went to the cross for you? You who experience attraction to the same sex, who's navigating gender issues, you're my guy. You're my gal. And I'm yours. Why wouldn't I be if I was nailed and bled for you? You who have a disability... You who might be a little bit weaker. You who are going through mental health issues. You're my guy. You're my gal. And I'm yours. Why wouldn't I be if I suffered and walked the walk and promised that I will bring you through to the very end? What does this look like? What is the body of Christ look like when it comes to living in these two weeks of lockdown and beyond? Well, friends, as we're living in lockdown, who are we going to reach out to first? Are we going to reach out to our peers and our friends? But, or are we going to reach out to those who might have no one calling them? Are we going to let people suffer in silence? Are we going to hear about it? And friends, if you are going through a difficult time, your silence harms the whole church. Now, I'm not forcing you to share to everyone. And I think there are, there are cases where uh, you shouldn't be that vulnerable to a lot of people. But if you are going through a difficult time, the body of Christ needs to know. Parts of the body needs to know. And to walk alongside you. And you know what? 
strangely enough, in my experience at least, when I interact with people who society thinks are a burden, when I interact with uh, elderly people at nursing homes or people with a disability, I go in thinking this is going to be a drain when in actual fact, God feeds me so much in that interaction. In my care, I am cared for. Isn't that just the beautiful aspect of the body of Christ and the essentialness of everyone? I want to invite you to a place. When you enter this place, you immediately feel a sense of difference. There's no rushing like the secular world outside. It's a place of belonging, of unity, of love and care. People genuinely miss one another and are so happy to see each other every day and to call each other when they miss them. You're welcomed with love. You feel like you're just not another customer or client. You feel like you're a person. You're appreciated. You see kids greeted by teenagers. You see a person with autism chatting with someone else who is neurotypical. You see the elderly lady is holding the single mum's baby while the mum's having a delightful conversation with the staff. The songs might not be very good and silent in some of the Zoom calls, but you do see people singing from their hearts. The sermon might be a little bit too long, but you listen because hopefully you see that the speaker has integrity. The supper might be missing because of lockdown, but you laugh and you cry and you miss those around you. That's the body of Christ. Let's pray. God of the universe, who made us so different in every small and big way, knit us together as your people, we pray. Jesus Christ, who died and redeemed us, continue to redeem our broken minds and bodies and make us whole. Spirit of God who gives us life, breathe and breathe in us again to see everything anew. It's in the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit we pray. Amen.